It is the 25th of June, 2012, and this is episode 61 of the audio podcast, Surf Hardware Hacking. I'm uh, Scott Hewitt, and tonight I'm joined by... I'm Samuel Freeman, and we have Jean-Baptiste Tebu. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, Jean-Baptiste, you're here to talk about music hack space. Um, so, so what's that? Okay, so uh, the music hack space uh, started from a, a group of hackers in London, the hack space, uh, which uh, now has about 400 members. Uh, and these members are uh, people fascinated about audio, uh, not necessarily audio actually, about electronics and um, hacking of all sorts. They have a space in Shoreditch. Uh, a large space where you can find soldering station, you can find components, uh, electronic components, uh, wood, machinery. There's a, a laser cutter as well, a 3D printer, a plasma cutter to cut that's for metal. Um, so I was working for Focusrite until a, a few weeks ago, and uh, I contacted them to donate them some um, some gear, uh, you know, some audio recordings, uh, it's audio recording gear, uh, and uh, there was a big interest so back in October last year. Um, so I met the people interested in, in, in making something with this gear and I asked them if they wanted to meet every every week maybe and start to do to exchange about uh, about music. Uh, and that's how it, it, it started. Uh, and uh, yeah, so now we, we meet up every week and we invite uh, people, academics, artists, uh, entrepreneurs, who want to share their thoughts and ideas and and, uh, and meet with other people passionate about sound and music. So what kind of thing happens at one of these weekly meetups then? Most of the time we have someone who start the event uh, and, and speak about, about their work. Um, so this Thursday we're going to host a Max MSP meetup and we're going to do that actually uh, every month from now on, the last Thursday of the month we, um, we host a the Maximus meetup in London. Um, at the first events, we had uh, some people presenting their iPhone apps uh, or the startup company uh, working in the audio domain for uh, curating music. Uh, uh, we had uh, Andrew McPherson, an academic from uh, Queen Mary, presenting his uh, augmented piano, um, explaining all the from from the artistic use by artists of the of this augmented piano, which is beautiful, to the finer details of how it's made, so that people who come just can get another view. Um, yeah, so we, we have uh, we have events every week, uh, and they really vary in uh, in their content. Were you involved with? So you weren't involved with the Hackspace until coming in for the music. Hackspace particularly because I'm quite interested in Hackspaces in general and kind of follow what's going on with various places around. Um, but this is the first time I've seen I've come across a kind of a regular kind of sub hack thing going on, which is domain specific in this way. I think that's I think that's really really cool. What do you do you see this kind of thing spreading to other hack spaces, having like music specific hack spaces in other places? Like what are the benefits of having a having a dedicated group like this within a larger group? Uh, well, our users can benefit from um, the facilities of the hack space, which are amazing. 
uh, for a self-organized group, what they what they uh, accumulate in terms of equipments and 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 uh, and people and talents, you know, is is pretty amazing. Uh, so it's it's an enormous benefit for artists or people who are less maybe technical to meet um, engineers and and uh, people passionate about maybe hardware electronics to help them out with a specific project uh, and. Uh, I really want to keep this connection alive. Even though recently we moved uh, from the hack space itself for our meetings, we in the same building, but not, not in the same room. Um, I really want to keep uh, the connection very much alive because uh, we we share the same foundation. Uh, sharing is is very important. We we all learn from uh, from each other and. Uh, one of my ambitions for the Hackspace, for the music Hackspace, is is to facilitate uh, also commercialization of products. Um, there, there are a few members who, who make uh, hardware, such as um, synthesizers or modular synths, and um, they are ready to be to be used in a uh, in an artistic context, but they lack uh, distribution knowledge or uh, a window to the world. And I want the music hack space to be helping them with that, helping them with, with productizing uh, uh, what they create. Um, so I think that, yeah, there's room for uh, a music hack space to grow into other places. We have about 100 members now. So our community is, 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 a, is probably a fifth of what the hack space uh, is. So it's 20%, that's, that's quite big. And um, looking on um, Hackspace, musichackspace.org, um, I see that you were at the Beam Festival this weekend, just gone. Um, yes. How did that go? Well, that was really uh, interesting. We, uh, we offered to do a workshop there, so to come with our gear and, and show what we, uh, we, what we are doing uh, individually and collectively. And uh, we, we say that we would love to do a performance as well, uh, the Hackspace Big Band. And uh, and I'm very uh, grateful that they uh, accepted the challenge and they take the gamble. They took the gamble of, of uh, without having heard anything, uh, allowing us to to perform, which we did yesterday uh, on Sunday, and it was a success. So we were seven uh, playing different instruments. There was a, a ukulele, an augmented ukulele. Um, a flute and effects. Uh, I was playing turntables with a with a camera, and and effects as well, uh, which is documented on the website as a Solaris project. Um, there was a beatboxer using his own iPhone app. There was uh, a guy doing circuit bending, and another one doing modular synths, and a drummer using um, his own uh, crazy casserole or you know set of kitchen tools to to make music. So. Um, so yeah, it went really well. I think uh, it was a world premiere of the music uh, Hackspace Big Band, and I'm hoping there would be more gigs. That's great stuff there. So um, just um, I know you've got the MSP. You said you got the MSP meetup next um, this coming week. Are there any other events in the near future that would be worth people knowing about that might be of interest to people? Uh, yes, we're going to do uh, regular workshops as well on uh, on Sundays. So it's it's a uh, it's not um, uh, in the diary just yet, but we're working on it. Uh, it's probably we're probably going to start with uh, hardware electronics for audio, 
uh, we're going to hack as well uh, a Raspberry Pi, try to make to make it sound, um, make it produce sound. Uh, one of the exciting stuff that that uh, has uh, come in the past week is that we've been awarded a, um, a grant to fund a composer in residency. Uh, so the the organization Sound and Music uh, has this program called uh, Embedded uh, Composer, and they they uh, give money to a composer to be in a place for uh, up to a year, I think. And uh, we've applied for this, and we uh, and we're very happy to to be hosting a composer from September to July, uh, July 2017, uh, to stay one day a week with us, to drive uh, the production of instruments and tools that would facilitate uh, a performance. So, yeah, it's a, that's among the exciting news. So. Um... So for any party who's interested in that kind of commission opportunity or in anything else to do with the uh, the London Music Hack Space, uh, where, where can they find out more about that? Uh, so it's, it's interesting you ask. I think I didn't blog about it, but uh, <laughs> but Sounded Music has, has a, a page on embedded composers. They, they released a call uh, a week ago. There's three calls going at the moment, one with the BBC Symphony Orchestra. That's pretty high profile. So I'm very proud to be in the same batch. Uh, and there's the one with uh, an organization based in London as well, which is uh, nowhere. I don't know how, how that should read. But they do fascinating stuff as well. Uh, I will blog about this on the website. Uh, people are most welcome to uh, come to the space, meet the people, and get a feel for uh, what we want to do and what we can, what we can offer to a composer. Who wants to work with uh, with technology? Um, all of our events are free, so you can drop in, you know, for 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 uh, one Thursday and uh, and and share, you know, a pizza after after the event uh, with us. And uh, it's, it's very friendly. It's a it's a good atmosphere. And if people want to find out more directly about the happenings of the music hack space, do you guys run a website as well, or? Yes, we have a website, uh, the musichackspace.org. Actually, musichackspace.org. Uh, that's the name of the website. Uh, and we have a page, uh, uh, events, for, for all the events that uh, traces all the events and announces the future events. We also uh, tweet about, about those. And uh, the Twitter is musichackspace. So, um, yeah, follow us. Awesome stuff. We'll make sure that they, um, both of those links get put into our show notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk for people so they thank can you. go find them and click across, as would be. So I'd like to thank you for taking some time out on it today to, to come and talk to us. That's, that's awesome, and it sounds very exciting what you're doing with um, this kind of London-based tax space. So I know certainly next time I'm down in London, I'm going to try and drop in and take a look and see what's going on there as well. So Absolutely. You should, you should come and talk about what you do as well. Perhaps so, perhaps so. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely stuff. Um, I don't know if you're planning on hanging around for the rest of the show, but um, if, if not, we're, thank you once again, Jean-Baptiste. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Excellent. Okay, well, I'll, I'll hang around for, for a little bit and then uh, maybe uh, vanish. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> awesome stuff. Feel free to join in if you want to. So, um, yeah, that was the music hack space, which was, which is cool. I knew that was going to be a cool thing. I saw the Sound of Music link go through, which is how I spotted it, so... That's the reason I wanted to jump on it really quick. Um, we should head into the news, Sam. 
Okay, so news. Um, first item in the show notes at um, theaudiopodcast.co.uk show slash 61 is the, the, the new radiophonic workshop. So staying in London, um, the BBC have announced that the um, new radiophonic workshop will be will be will opening exist. After, will exist, yeah. Um, perhaps not quite what you might expect. The um, The famous workshop that was opened in the 60s closed in the late 90s was it or was it more recent than it that? opened in 1958 because i've got that page up i don't have the closure page up i'm sorry <laughs> we don't celebrate closure as much as opening do we i think that's it. no it was 1998 that it closed but now it's reopening in a virtual capacity so there's going to be um as part of the space.org project that's going on yeah so i i thought it i, I saw that and i was like wow that's that's incredible that's a really bold and somewhat irrelevant step of the BBC to reopen this kind of thing and then read it and was like oh that's even less interesting than what I thought it was and and it is now what it is do, do we need like it sounds to me like it's going to be a BBC funded version of SoundCloud which <laughs> you know considering SoundCloud exists and does a fairly reasonable job of it I'm not quite sure why the BBC needs to head into get involved in that space as well. But anyway, well, the line they're using is that it's um, bringing together two key disciplines: the music com of music composition and software design. So, I mean, is there a is there a platform which is dedicated to the combination of those in this sense? I maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll have like it'll give you like the ability to listen to the audio, and then there'll be a button where you can like download the software and that's kind of thing. It's it's a shame Adam Yanch isn't here because that'd be like I feel that'd be his kind of thing actually. He'd like that. Do you think it's possible to hack this thing? Oh, I'm I'm almost certainly you're, for 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 negative purposes or for positive purposes there. Well, positive, you know, make make music out of of this. I don't know. Oh, that, that would be cool if they were to say that all the audio on it is Creative Commons and have a kind of remix kind of options and things like that. Yeah, I think I think that would be a very good thing. I mean, SoundCloud has Creative Commons built in, so you can select content and reuse it. But uh, so BBC has usually been quite open to, to for its content to be hacked or reused. So um, yeah, that's very true. Actually, yeah, I, didn't, I hadn't thought of that angle to it. That could be quite a, an interesting kind of reflection to it as well. I will follow up on this. <laughs> well, I, I think so. I'm saying the, I, I was a little bit disappointed that when, when you when you follow the advertised link through, you just send it with a page, which is a bit of history, and then the, you know, a couple of sponsors logos and a mailing list, and that's it. So it's, you know, it's a little bit disappointing that it's definitely at its birth, and it's, you know, I'm yes. sure they'll work out what they think it's going to be eventually kind of thing. Mm. But, you know. But there we go. It's, 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 it's new. It's the new Radiophonic Workshop opening. That's kind of fun. Um, there's lots of new things around, and sometimes you surf the web to find them, often <laughs> to find beats as well. So it's a beautiful segue into beat surfing, the organic MIDI controller builder. So this is a, um, an iOS app for um, iPad, etc. And yeah, it's a, it lets you draw your own interface so it's to create a controller so it doesn't produce sound of itself but it does hook up through core midi and yeah there's a couple of videos there's two videos i've seen online there's the one which is on beatsurfing.net which is a vimeo one and then the one which you scott posted on the audio podcast.co.uk 
which I think is better. Um, just there you go. I, I was more, yeah. And these, are, I think the, all of the examples I've seen have been controlling Ableton Live, so it's triggering loops and samples and things. But yes, especially in the um, YouTube video, it kind of shows the collaborative nature of, of how these things. But yeah. so when you say draw, uh, what do you mean? Is, is it drawing uh, graphically or? Um, not freehand. I think there's a, you're able to um, select from primitive circles, shapes to create triggers that, and, um, and areas. So you can have sort of sliders, but you can arrange them and color them however you want around the screen. So in most of the examples, there are lots of circles around and overlapping. And so you can tap around. And ah. you, can, you can build the interface on the actual iPad itself as well. So yes, so that's that's different from things like the touch OS C and stuff like that. And yeah. um, does this send OS C or is it just MIDI? I can't remember. I didn't. I didn't actually spot that. I had a quick look to see which one it was, what it was sending, but I didn't actually spot that. I'll have a quick, quick rummage now, sort of stuff. But I, I, I would guess it. It probably does both. Would be my guess. But the emphasis is on the core MIDI. Though, because that the comedy in iOS lets you, if you've got the hardware, connect it to external machines, or you can connect within within the device itself. So any sound producing application which will accept comedy will be controllable from your beat surfing interface. Yeah. And an interesting use of it as well is that the fact that you can actually link it with core um, with with virtual MIDI internally on the iPad as well. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So you can go between the app, go between the app. Well, so as well as going between the app and your kind of, you know, your computer running an application, you can actually also control an application running on the iOS device there as well. You were reading when I was talking, weren't you, Scott? No, your audio, you, you cut out for me momentarily. So I just kind oh, of, okay. I was like, this okay. would be an intelligent remark to come in with. And I didn't think you were in that direction. So I'm always scared when when we do this that when I'm reading something I'm always scared that the thing I'm about to say has just been said while I was. And that, yeah. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> so so this thing is is a bit uh, reminiscent of of the lemur, isn't it? Or and uh, Yenix? Do you remember Yenix? Yeah, um, I, I guess I guess so. I'm saying this whole. I always feel sorry for the lemur kind of people because they had this really great thing which was really expensive, and then everybody came and ate their lunch just for overnight really didn't they but yeah it's a it's a similar kind of thing and you're right with the ability to have a very flexible interface rather than an interface which is dictated and you're you're kind of restricted to what you have there but at the same time you are restricted to the palette of primitives that they offer so you know they're offering what let's read this um they're offering lines polygons circles faders of which you can control the size color orientation and 3d position so yeah, you've got freedom within those bounds. Yeah. Talking about freedom, um, I always think uh, one of the great attributes of freedom is the opportunity to have choice. And um, while we've much of our conversation this last couple of years has been dominated by Apple Touch devices, uh, Microsoft uh, this week announced the Surface, which is their touch interface computer. Um, I'd like to plow in immediately and point out to everybody that Microsoft actually invented the touch tablet a long time ago, and it was dreadful. And then Apple made one that worked, and now Microsoft have returned with, with their version of it, um, the Surface. Have, have you had an opportunity to have a look at any part of this, Sam? Or? I have. Um, 
so you say there's choice there are two versions there's um which uh differ in size and hardware and they and also in the os they run so there's the the lighter thinner um windows rt version and then there's going to be a windows 8 pro version which is slightly heavier and slightly bigger both of them have so that if we if i'm sure lots of people will be comparing this to the macbook air um but immediately you've got the difference that the the keyboard is detachable and is kind of just built into the cover so it's more like so the surface itself as an object is more like the iPad. But it comes with a keyboard by default. So still. Yes. And the, the, the cool feature of the, the full spec version, not the RT version, but um, I forget what the acronym they use for the full spec version is, is the fact that it's actually going to run a full version of Windows. So you should be able to run a, a door on that, on that device in a way that you can only run iOS apps on an iPad, in this scenario, you should be able to run a proper Windows application on that device as well. So th this is arguably the first tablet device which you'll be able to run a, you know, I don't know, a, a Cubase session on or something like that, perhaps, which, which I think is quite exciting. Yeah, so it means that you, you could do audio as well as, as you can do on, an, on a Windows machine. That's yep. pretty exciting. It is really exciting. Obviously, it's made by Microsoft, so I suspect it will never work. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, in all seriousness, yes, I'm saying that's really exciting. And it, I, I'm kind of terrified as to what's going to happen in terms of, can you imagine Cubase and then they try and put some sort of touch-aware interface over the top of Cubase? What I'm saying, I can see that kind of thing becoming really messy and, you know, the, the, the thing that's missing off this surface is obviously the mouse. There's... There's no mouse because you've got a touch interface. But the keyboard, there is a um, there is a trackpad, there is a trackpad built into the um, keyboard as well. So the keyboard cover has a trackpad on there. So I hadn't there. spotted that some good spot. <clears throat> but you know when you when you speak of choices, uh, Android uh, is, is on several uh, tablets, like a Samsung tablet, which is quite successful and uh, comparable to to Apple uh, uh, cells, and audio is just not working well uh, so for for people interested in making music it it doesn't compete with apple at all so now we we finally have or seem to have a competitor so that's that's good news for music i think D definitely so i'm saying yeah you're right that android is a nightmare for audio audio work at the moment so um those android tab android tablets haven't really been effective in this kind of thing whereas you know that this surface could be could be it. How about that? Imagine fleeing an Apple product for a Microsoft product. That could be a that's quite a big personal decision. There. The the first bits that I read about this kind of yeah got me quite excited about that as a future development. Um, although when I first clicked the link um, through, I was in browsing in Firefox and I just got an error page. So I was like, oh, Microsoft, your error pages. <laughs> um, it worked perfectly fine in Chrome, but so it might have been more of a Firefox fail than a Microsoft fail. But. Yeah. Did happen. <laughs> um, so, and the differences between the two models as well is that um, on the on the RT version you get USB two, um, whereas on the larger Surface version, I, we don't, the Windows Pro, the Windows eight, um, the USB is three. Now USB three has been causing problems all over the place. 
yeah, it has been. Um, many of these problems obviously prompted by the the new version MacBook Pros that were announced a couple of weeks ago, which came with USB 3 as standard. So obviously forcing a lot of people who bought those machines have been have been kind of grinding into these problems. Um, the first one up is um, M-Audio, um, obviously owned by Avid, I thought were came out in a very bold way and basically said it doesn't work, which I thought was quite a... It was very honest of them and very refreshing as a, as a company. So they basically said that as far as they're concerned, you need to run USB 2. Or interestingly, USB 1.1, which I thought was an interesting uh, aside to that. But, you know, anyway, so um, M-Audio don't consider USB 3 as a supported thing yet, which I think is, it, that really concerns me, actually, because as far as I'm concerned, USB 2 and USB 3 were meant to be fully compatible. So you would be able to run a USB 2 device on USB 3. So I guess it shows you what sort of dark magic has been going on in driver space in this, in, in, you know, for this kind of situation to have came around, sort of stuff like that. I'm sure they'll fix it in time. We, the other, the other um, shall we skip a few uh, the items that are not quite in the right order here? I think we should may as well stick with this theme and say that the native instruments drivers have also been causing problems. Um, this first came up. At the beginning of in the middle of May on the Native Instruments forum, um, where people were having problem on Windows machines that had both USB two and USB three ports, where plugging the device into the USB three gave them blue screen of death, whereas plugging it into the two worked. Um, as you say, now that we've got these new machines out that people are buying, which only have three option, there's a lot of people talking about it. Some of the suggested things. Um, solutions have been to get a Thunderbolt PCIe expansion um, and then to buy a USB 2 hub to put into that. So that's nice and elegant. Yeah. I mean, the argument from the person suggesting that was that um, you need, you're going to need extra ports anyway. So to have some, so that option gives you four ports. I guess you could buy a Thunderbolt audio interface. Oh, wait a minute. Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, I <laughs> yeah, I, maybe there's more Thunderbolt stuff out there than we were aware of because I hadn't come across this as a adapter until until this week. So, well, there there are there are a growing number of Thunderbolt interfaces, but they're at the very top end at the moment in in terms of price range. They're you know they're well above anybody who's running a native interface card isn't probably going to be buying a Thunderbolt one right now. As, a, as an approximation, I'd say they could always buy the uh, the Thunderbolt to Firewire adapter. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, a cinema display. I'm... How about a cinema display that will convert your Firewire, your Thunderbolt to USB two and Firewire? There we go. So you get twenty seven inch screen out of it as well. I think Thunderbolt is is uh, certainly going to um, to hit the market uh, next year. At Focus Right, uh, we. Um, we looked into into this, of course, because you know that's, that seems to be the future. It's it's massively endorsed by Apple, um, so Apple being a dominant player in this market, we need to adapt to whatever port they they decide to to, to do. Um, and actually, Focusrite, I don't know if you know this, but they're still the they are the first audio interface for FireWire. So there's still a big market there um, for FireWire uh, interfaces. Uh, but Thunderbolt, I think, uh, is going to reach mass market in in, uh, in in January next year. We we we've talked a lot about these interface kind of thing, you know, kind of wars. I'm saying, um, I've I've mentioned I, as as a Motu 
I have a collection of Moto sound cards that all work perfectly fine and with the latest version of MacBook upgrades have now all been made redundant due to connectivity, but they all still work and they've always worked for everything I've wanted to do. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people where really I just, I don't need to go beyond Firewire. It's, you know, I can do what, 24 channels of 96K audio, which is probably 20 channels more than most people ever do. So... You know the the extra band the extra capabilities of Thunderbolt don't don't necessarily seem that overly attractive, and I think the USB three world is actually in a similar place because USB three has been around for quite a while now as well. But for the vast majority of people, it doesn't actually offer that great an advantage that it's something they desperately need, and therefore manufacturers haven't you know haven't really been putting them on the computers because. It's interesting to note that Apple are basically leading the charge in both directions here. They are the they are the only people really shipping with Thunderbolt, and them pushing USB three only onto their laptops is also going to drive that as well. So it's interesting that Apple are definitely driving both of those technologies. Um, yeah. I, as a vote for Thunderbolt, though, I should I, I we joke about this every time, but you know it should be remembered that USB was designed to work mice and printers. So there's no part of the there's no part of the USB system built to handle real-time audio, and there never really will be. It's all you know the backwards compatibility prevents that. So, it's nice. It's nice that FireWire has been replaced by something designed with that kind of high-performance specification that Thunderbolt has. Because the real nightmare would have been the depreciation of FireWire and the presentation of USB three as the option. Because that, I don't think that would have served anybody in the creative community particularly well. So. Yeah. In fact, uh, just on a side note, uh, Apple is also leading the charge on um, audiovisual bridge. I don't know if you've heard about AVB, or maybe you've talked about it here. I don't know. No, this sounds interesting. Uh, but uh, AVB is a Ethernet uh, protocol, so um, you can uh, the bandwidth uh, that you can have on, uh, on on Thunderbolt is is actually multiplied by maybe a factor of a hundred uh, on on Ethernet. And audiovisual bridging is meant to communicate both audio and uh, and um, and visuals. So, in in very large uh, systems, when you want to record sixty four instruments or broadcast uh, in a, in a concert room to a hundred of speakers, you can do that uh, with less than five uh, milliseconds, I think. Um, so that's very efficient. Uh, uh, I, I want to <laughs> to blow the, my own trumpet here, but uh, Focusrite has an, uh, a range of products that is uh, compatible uh, to uh, AVB. Uh, there's a variety of, of, um, of protocols that all are based on Ethernet audio, um, made by different uh, different company. But AVB is supposed to be the next standard for audio over network. Um, and Mayor Sound already has uh, a few speakers that. You know, take a Ethernet plug into them. Yep. Yeah. Um, cool. Generally, I have speakers that do that too. I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we we should definitely have you on again some other time to talk about that in more detail. I think that would. That's one of my yeah, big interests. That, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd love <laughs> to do that. Let, let's keep let's keep charging on. Um, do you uh, Softube are offering their amp rooms with a discount until July the seventeenth? Oh. Yeah, but that's fifty percent off. So they've got what four products there? Various amp rooms. The so. vintage amp room, the metal amp room, the bass amp room, and the amp room bundle. I'm just I'm just envisioning rooms of amps, which I presume is the effect they're wanting. <laughs> virtual rooms or virtual amps, um, and and then virtual instruments. Um, 
East West are offering buy one get one free on on all their products. So yeah. So, yeah. That's until June the thirtieth as well, so you can go check that out. That's pretty cool. Now this next product, I thought when I read about this, I was like, "This is awesome! Like, why doesn't this exist?" And then this is like, in my opinion, the worst possible implementation of this ever. But um, <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm gonna just not not saying offense here. Um, Arc have released uh, what they're referring to as the IDI Active DI box. So this is a Active DI box designed to be used with iPhones, iPads, laptops, because it's designed to work with a mini jack rather than a quarter inch jack. Sounds awesome. Yeah, that's a useful thing to have. Yeah. And okay. then it turns out that they've put a mini jack on a lead that kind of hangs out of the front of the box. And that, so you plug it in. Now, I understand that that's cool because you don't need to have the right cable with you. But, um, you know, that lead's so clearly going to get broken really quickly because mini jacks break all the time because they're not designed to not break. They're cheap, nasty consumer connectors. So. Well, maybe that was maybe that was the design decision they made. They said that you know the problem is quite often going to be the actual cable that's going between the headphone socket on one thing and the DI box at the other end. So maybe by having this permanently tethered umbilical cord, it it removes that problem. It's like you know we've put our good one on there. That's as good as it'll get. And I mean, I can imagine that's probably quite replaceable. You could easily open that up and stick a jack on there instead. I'm sure. <laughs> maybe I, I thought it'd be cool if it retracted so you kind of pulled it out and when you let go it got like sucked into it like, <laughs> that that would be cool but you know i know i know if i had that product you know i'd probably have a couple of them they'd be in a flight case and then one day you know the end is going to get like just chopped off and then i'm going to be left with a bit of cable hanging out of the front of something and that's just not very good like i admit that when i now that i say it out loud having a mini jack socket would probably be as bad because you it just breaks Anyway, I thought it was cool. I, you know, I read it and I was like, "That's a great idea." And then I'm not convinced by the implementation, but you know, why not? I thought it was cool, and it's nice that it's called IDI. I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, from something that's playing on the idea of the I in products, um, there is an I test mic, which is a test microphone which plugs into an iOS device. Scott, what's the I test mic? <laughs> Studio 6 Digital have launched this iTest mic, which is a test microphone to use alongside an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod Touch, which will allow you to configure your kind of home theater setup, um, a professional space. It allows you to do sound pressure readings in case you want to complain about your neighbor making too much noise. You could use it for that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of fun because so many of these kind of tests things are really, you know, are kind of prohibitively expensive. And this is definitely a more affordable version. At the same point, how many people are really interested in doing this? I, I don't know. I don't know. What is the added value to the uh, iPhone uh, microphone? Well, it, it, um, the test mic itself comes with, um, by using the test mic, you get access to an application to in, that you can use on the iPad, which will do the kind of sound pressure level readings for you and provide you that kind of raw information. So. You can, oh, okay. you can actually see the kind of frequency response inside a room or, you know, th those kind of things come with the software as well. And the microphone itself is um, omnidirectional from, you know, 20 hertz to 20K. So it's a far more sensitive microphone than the, the, the microphone built into the, the iPhone. But it's not designed for recording per se. It's more designed as a kind of test input. For that yeah, okay. 
I guess my my thought is for the home theater thing. I'm saying I know how everybody sets their home theater up. You you kind of plug it in, then you turn it up, and then you turn keep turning it up until the ground kind of shakes when it goes bang. Because that's really the whole point in doing that, isn't it? It's just to have it. You know, you want to feel the explosion. You know, not see it, not hear it, feel it. <laughs> Electric shocks. What is the solution? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smell as well. Yeah, yeah, mist machines and things like this. It, it is still two hundred dollars, though. I mean, it's more accessible than there is. It's not the first um, product for the iOS aimed at testing. There's there's an, an iAudio device interface too, which is a four hundred dollar audio interface with the iOS. I what's what's the technical term for the connector that plugs into your iPod and iPhone and stuff? Like that? It's the thirty pin connector, isn't it? It's the thirty pin connector. Yep. So. Yeah, at two hundred dollars, it's half the price of this other one, which is only the interface and not the microphone, which you would have to get separately. But it's a cool product, and it's there. And if you know, if it's of interest to people, it's of interest to people, isn't it? It's, uh... Yeah. Um, as, as a hacker tip, uh, I would like to to point that uh, there's a um, a small device called a Kinetica, I think, uh, uh, or Pod Gizmo, which is uh, um, a connect a thirty pin connector that comes in a kit for maybe twelve pounds. And you could solder all your um, cables for audio and for power and plug that into an iPhone to make anything you want. So that uh, it could be an interface. So you could access the two audio in and audio out of the iPad or iPhone uh, and, and make something of your own. So you can make a speaker of your own or a microphone of your own or both um, to communicate with it. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a pod gizmo, I think. Yeah, I got one. It's very cheap. It comes in kit for the electronics uh, ad adapts here. Awesome, awesome stuff. Cool. Let's uh, let's keep moving along here. So, um, I've, I've yeah, just press play. Um, I don't know if either of you had have uh, spotted this uh, the last week, but there's been a bit of a, a controversy kind of brewing with a, an arguments about what actually constitutes a live performance in a in EDM. Um, Deadmo Five kind of posted a thing about what he's actually doing in his live shows. I, I don't know if you, if you spot any of this or not, but um, it, he basically made the point that people come to his shows to see, to hear the music that he's recorded and released on an album. So he's very keen to play it very close to what it is, which at times is kind of impractical. So as a consequence, he's increasingly using, he's increasingly just pressing play and delivering the exact audio, but with this incredible kind of stage show, which is all synced up and, he himself kind of creates a more kind of dramatic element to it all, you know, with costume and things like that. Um, following up from that, Ian Golden on DJ Tech Tools kind of bemoaned the fact there are no kind of rock stars in this kind of field because of this kind of thing and people's kind of very limited performance practice. And then finally, a computer, a CDM kind of joined in with a kind of nice kind of overview and argument against both of those kind of things. So I wondered, you guys got any opinion about the kind of live music thing? You know, live so music. the main criticism here is the main criticism is that it's a um, it's button pushing music, isn't it? You know, if for somebody to be on stage performing this, then they're just generally pushing buttons, whether that's or turning knobs. And I think that what in the DJ tech tools, like the call seems to be for more kind of like theatrical extravagance, but and comparing to metal bands and things of old. I don't think it's a fair comparison. I don't think it's necessary to be looking for 
things to be more than what they are if people are doing stuff which is more theatrical more bodily in performance then that's great but if not then what's the problem yeah this has been i think a, a long debate in um in the live electronics scene uh, you know more often than not you would go to a concert where a guy sits behind a laptop and and actually if he's placing play or or doing life coding or making strange calculations you, you actually have no clue and it, it's about it's about the the, the cues that uh, are given to the audience i suppose that where there is a, a sort of attention i think if dead mouse uh, acts as his music and, and lives his music uh, even though he's pressing play that's not a problem for anyone but if he's just sitting there and and, and pressing a button then then it becomes very boring and you don't you don't see the value of going to a concert to see that. Uh, and I, I think yeah, Peter Kuhn in in in, uh, in uh, create digital music website. I think it's today that what you referred to, Scott, um, approached the problem nicely. Uh, and and it is what is the band he's talking about? Because he, he says uh, in in the article that um, they have a setting that they're going to improvise with, and and accidents may happen, and that's a good thing, because you know then you deal with it and just. Uh, Make something maybe uh, uh, of 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 root uh, of um, yeah, of the tracks. Um. I think it's interesting these the, the way with these things that everybody kind of the focus is always it's the music it's all about the music it's all about the music but then it turns out that there is actually this massive concern and interest surrounding the accompanying kind of stage show that's actually happening there and the kind of visual thing that they're seeing and those kind of bits and. The, the thing that I was taking from the articles was the fact that was that kind of reminder that the actual kind of stage presence and stage activity is important and is a craft of itself alongside the kind of the musical aspect of what's actually going on there. That's very true. And when you see uh, Laurent Garnier or any famous DJ, uh, they do this, you know, they raise their hand. They're having fun, and everyone does the same in the room. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, we, this thing is is actually he's not performing, he's not making music, but he's communicating something to the audience, and and that that just works somehow. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should uh, should do this, although it seems to work. But <laughs> but uh, in in their own way, musicians should also consider the craft, as you said, of, of performing and communicating to the audience as part of the show. As always, um, all of the stories that we've been talking about and all those kind of links are all up on the uh, all up on the website at theaudiopodcast.co.uk and and this one show sixty one. Um, in our other section, in imaginatively created and named, uh, we we also turned on Facebook connection today. Well, this week, but I'm not entirely convinced how well it's working. But um, theoretically, all of the stories from all of the shows now get pushed into Facebook as well. Um, if that's horrifically spamming you and you don't like it, then you, if you email me that, I'll probably turn it off. But if you don't, I'm just going to leave it running. So listeners, you have been warned. Um, but if you spend your life in Facebook and really don't want to go to our own webpage, then you can get them from Facebook, maybe. Um, and hopefully we'll is... do the same with Google+. Plus once. And rumor has it that after Google are going to announce the Google Plus API at Google I.O., which is coming up pretty soon. So maybe. Maybe so, maybe so, but there you go. That's it. Shall we go to the plunder section? Okay, well, just like oh. to point out, because like the whole, because we're putting them um, the shows through more, we're putting the the items up through the week as we find them, rather than sticking everything online 
on the on the Monday. So yeah, that enables people to comment on things, and we have had some comments on the um those on things. It's like on the um slash article and stuff in particular. So yeah, that's that's linked into that. And then the plunder is um, our some... plunder. <laughs> what is plunder? Um, Plunder is plunder. It's things we find that aren't used. Kind of like a pirate. Imagine you're a pirate and you're going plundering. Kind of plunder using the plunder phonics kind of sense stuff that's just out there. We're just kind of like rubbing it. But this is this weekend. It actually was a new article, but it's kind of it didn't really fit in with the news news. So um, it's audio cubes being used in the classroom to um, teach about research, if that makes sense. So getting kids in a music class interested in asking questions and things like that. It was a nicely written little article and little video. Um, so what, what does kids learn? What, what do they learn with those uh, cubes? Um, the... I, I think... They, they learn the that research was, is fun. Exactly, research is fun. <laughs> <laughs> by, I think the, the article starts by putting out that Kids probably do a lot more research than they think they do. They might think that research is some kind of like boring, distant thing that they're not interested in, but actually they're online looking up game cheats and walkthroughs for stuff that they are interested in and kind of like, and then use it. And then in this example, in the classroom, they're using an audio cube as an unknown object that they're encouraged to handle and to learn about it and to ask questions on the spot. So working out what it does, how it works and focusing on on the questioning that happens while you're doing that. So. Wow. Fascinating. Awesome. Well, that's it. We've made it to the end of the show. All, all the way through the show notes. That's been awesome stuff. Um, and we, John, John Baptiste has been with us the whole way through, which has been awesome as well. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's been great talking with you. Uh, I don't have that many um, geek talks uh, these days, so I'm very happy to to have joined the conversation well it's, it's a nice 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 it's a compliment huh? yeah. geek in my in my mind but that's also i'm saying the audio podcast is recorded live at generally at 7 p.m though we did go a little bit late um in a google plus hangout you can watch us live on youtube um if you if you want to come on the show let us know and we'll be you know if we if you can convince us you've got something exciting to talk about then we'll definitely have you on which, which would be the, awesome stuff the way to do that is through google Plus, so find the audio podcast on there. Add us to one of your one of your circles, and then and then we can add you back. Yeah, that, that's awesome stuff. Uh, Jean Baptiste, we're definitely going to have to have you on again. I think. Um, and I'd love that to, to talk about sure. your kind of focus right connection as well. I I, I didn't well, want. I was very careful not to mention that, and then you brought it in. So I I feel as if I'm allowed to now. So that's cool. Um, no, it's all right. On next week's show, we have um, Adam Yanch is going to be our guest. Um, he has a iOS app being released on Saturday, which is pretty exciting. So he's going to tell us all about his uh, iOS app. I believe this is the iOS app that was originally refused from the App Store as well, which we mentioned. So that's kind of an exciting little thing we got coming up as well. So um, yeah, that's it. Don't forget, you can get all the show notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um I've been Scott Hewitt. This has been the audio podcast show number 61, Surf Hardware Hacking. Um, I'm Samuel Freeman. And uh, I'm Jean-Baptiste Thiebaud. Thank you very much for, for the time. Bye. Bye. Bye.